I can't tell you anything you don't know. We live in the trenches out there. We fight. We try not to be killed. Sometimes we are. That's all. No. No, Paul. I've been there. I know what it's like. That's not what one dwells on, Paul. I heard you in here reciting that same old stuff, making more iron men, more young heroes. You still think it's beautiful and sweet to die for your country, don't you? Well, we used to think you knew. The first bombardment taught us better. It's dirty and painful to die for your country. When it comes to dying for your country, it's better not to die at all. There are millions out there dying for their countries. And what good is it? Paul! Oh. You asked me to tell them how much they're needed out there. He tells you, go out and die. Oh, but if you'll pardon me, it's easier to say go out and die than it is to do it. Coward! And it's easier to say it than to watch it happen. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And we are now in week two of ten of our decade-by-decade celebration of film as we lead up to our 100th episode. Last week was 1920, and a quite quite nice, uh, good discussion about Within Our Gates. Um, And now we are eking into a World War I film, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, But before we talk about that, we are going to give you some recommends and maybe just a a bit of banter. Just, you know, just a bit of chit-chat before we get right into talking about the movie. Um, Here's some stuff I've been watching lately. Um, One one movie that is in the book that I had never seen before that we watched recently kind of on a whim – that uh, Melissa and I both really enjoyed uh, was uh, Rosemary's Baby. I had never seen that before. That's a that's a damn good flick. It really is. It it really is. Um, and I you know I that that Roman Polanski you know he he's a real piece of shit. But that that it, uh, ah man, I really I really like that movie. I I I I want to try to separate the man from the art because I think the movie is really good. Um. Have you ever seen uh, Melissa hadn't seen this, and I'd only seen it once, and I saw this when I was a kid, and it fucking a man. I'm it, it only got funnier over time. Did you ever see Drop Dead Gorgeous? No, is that the Kirsten Dunst kind of beauty pageant thing? Is yes. that, am I in the ballpark there? Yes, it's 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 in the vein of the Christopher Guest movies, right? It's a this this documentary crew goes to this small town in Minnesota, and um, it's. Uh, the main players, you know, it's Kirsten Dunst and Denise Richards, and I think Brittany Murphy is also one of the contestants. And Kirstie Alley is in it. Ellen Barkin is in it. Um, Wait, how, how much? It. How, how much do you miss Brittany Murphy? You know, I honestly, I was a fan. Like I was loving what she was doing. Lover in think, Sin City. Lover in Don't yeah. Say a Word. Yeah, I, I think she. 
I think she knew the kind of characters that she could play and she played them well. Um, uh, I know that she was also, she was good in Clueless. She was really good in this. And I, I won't even lie. Like I'm a, I'm a huge sucker for eight mile. I fucking love eight mile. And she, I think she's great in that too. Um, but anyway, sorry, but, you were saying Allison Janney also in oh, Drop Allison Dead Gorgeous. Janney just kills it in this too. It's, it's She's very, the fucking very best. funny. Yeah, and and there's a whole slew of, of, of side characters that sort of fill up the town that are just... It, the movie is so fucking ridiculous. Um, it's by, by no means um, politically correct at all. Um, they take a lot... There's a lot of jokes... Um, blatantly made uh because of where they live about guns and religion and it's definitely like a it's a very republican based town that they live in and it's 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 just it's just very funny i definitely would recommend that one too um the two other things besides my recommend that i'll briefly uh mention is that we just watched all i think it's six episodes of the new unsolved mysteries on netflix um which was entertaining yeah liz has been loving that yeah uh, I, I do know that she's a, uh, I do know her, her passion for true crime. So I, I thought she might, I thought she might. Oh, you mean, you mean after she murder splained to us on <laughs> the dark night? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. <laughs> very true. Um, and, uh, so, uh, uh, the preamble part of, because of what I wanted to do for this particular podcast, I, I did that, the free trial of the criterion channel and I'm still in the midst of my 14 days, but I also watched, um, the Safdie brothers documentary called Lenny cook about a, a basketball player who at one point was the number one rated high school prospect in the country. And then never saw a minute of playing time in the NBA. Um, it's good. I, I, I would say they were, it's kind of like our generation's version of, of hoop dreams. You know, it's sort of got that same feel of, of this kid, you know, coming up from not great circumstances and, and, but having real skill and just not, not quite making that, that leap into the NBA. Um, uh, it's so weird to, cause I've only seen good time in uncut gems. And so this just has a, a radically different feel to it, you know? Uh, but, but I, I would recommend it, especially, um, if, I mean, if you aren't a basketball fan, I still think you'll like the kind of character study. But if you know anything about basketball, there's this really great, like, kind of iconic moment where they're in this high school basketball camp and Lenny Cook's team is playing LeBron James's team. Um, and it's just like, like, they, like very high, high rated players. And one of them, of, of course, became LeBron James. And one of them became this guy that nobody knows about. Um, so those are the things I've been watching lately. Uh, Ian, what about you? Well, I've uh, I've had a, an interesting couple of weeks, as uh, as you know. I sent you uh, a little post letting you know that I had watched <laughs> the Sean Connery John Borman classic Zardoz, which I mean, by the time this episode drops, I'll have already had the discussion with uh, with him. But uh, a coworker of mine, Donovan, very highly recommended that I that I watch this. And and dude, I don't know if he listens to us or not, but what the fuck, man, <laughs> that movie. That that broke my brain in in the not good way. That movie is just fucked. Uh, it's on it's on Hulu right now. If you're brave enough, go ahead and dip your toe into that madness. But I've also been deep deep in the uh, Werner Herzog journey. I uh, you know I did a great job of keeping my stimulus money in the country by ordering a bunch of shit from like South Korea and Germany and <laughs> England, you know, a bunch of movies that I've been wanting to import for a, for a few years. 
even something from Italy as well. But I, I picked up the BFI's uh, Werner Herzog box set, the one that's got 18 movies in it. Most of them are documentaries and a lot of documentary shorts. Um, but I've watched uh, Fata Morgana, which is a really strange wandering piece. I watched... Um, a couple of his uh, little religious shorts, one of them Huey's Sermon and another one God's Angry Man. I watched those back to back, which makes for a really interesting double feature because it's kind of both sides of the evangelical coin um, or the televangelist coin, I should say. Um, the one that really struck me, though, was a little 45 minute short called um, How, um, The Great Ecstasy of the Woodcarver Steiner. And that is about... Uh, well, they call them ski flyers. It's essentially guys that do those very, very long jumps. Uh, it's not like the slalom or anything like that. They yeah, just yeah, yeah. go for distance. And it was apparently it was something that Herzog wanted to do as a young man and then sustained a bit of an injury in his neck and, and couldn't do it. But he follows this guy, Steiner, who was just incredible. And the photography in it is... It's, it's actually now my favorite Herzog movie. The photography oh, wow. in it okay. is stunning. It's just absolutely hypnotic. It's one of the most beautiful things I, I think I've ever seen. I, I was really... And, and for me, honestly, that was worth the 50 bucks alone. That that little piece. So I, nice. mean, I, cannot, I cannot recommend that enough. But the reason I wanted to do... The main reason I wanted to do a little bit of preamble before we got into the meat of the show is you had mentioned uh, a movie called The Vast of Nights. And I did. I did, and I did the vast of night, and fuck me running. I cannot think off the top of my head of a debut, of a first feature in recent years that's been that fucking good. My God, that movie bowled me over. Liz and I were five minutes in, we were in. We were just locked into this thing. It's Melissa and I had the same sentiment. It's one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And I, I really hope that I didn't like an idiot. I didn't get the didn't write the guy's name down, but I really hope he's he's got more in him, more to give because it's it's an incredible piece of work. That I have to assume it's it. I mean that shot that kind of looks like it starts on an RC car and then goes yeah. into the gym and then up the up the stadium and then out the window and then it looks like it's on a drone like going through the town. What an incredible piece of work that feels like a. You know, in all the ways that I wanted Super 8 to be good and a great homage to to Spielberg and just what... I'm sorry, Super 8 was just not good. This makes up for it. In, I mean, it's it's perfect. A perfect debut. Yeah, so his, his name is Andrew Patterson. Um, and, and yeah, you mentioned that this was his... Um his uh his debut it was a a slam dance um film festival uh uh success and i think the crazy thing is i was kind of doing just a little bit of research on it is um they filmed this in 17 days 17 days they filmed this thing that is batshit that is absolutely fucking nuts yeah and there's so many so many long takes those long takes incredible absolutely incredible the 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 actor in me, uh, the, the, the one monologue of the guy that we never see on the radio, and then the, the old lady's monologue. I mean, f- God, like it, it, it takes so much courage and, and, and I'll just say it balls as a young director to just be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to keep the camera on this one lady for like four solid minutes 
as she just tells this story. God, I, oh yeah, it was great. I, it was, it was good. Well, it, it honestly, it feels like one of those movies, had he had the time and resources to plan it as one shot, it almost feels like that's what it's going for because of just the sheer number of long takes in it. I mean, there can't be more than what? I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm stabbing in the dark. There, mark, there can't be more than 35 to 40 cuts in this thing. Yeah, I mean, there's not that many. I mean, and and I, there's something about, too, the the small town, the the few locations... And like, you know, it's so funny because I mean, obviously we went to high school in the in the mid 2000s, but I remember what it was like to go to a football game or a basketball game. And like, it felt like the whole town was there, but you know, that wasn't true. But in a smaller town in the middle of nowhere, but with that same energy, like I totally believe that this event could happen and go relatively unnoticed. There was just something about all the the factors that were implemented into the storytelling really worked, It you know, like... No stone was unturned kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I can't wait to see it again. I'm just chomping at the bit to go back through it and discover all of the things that I may have missed because I I know I didn't take it all in because I was just hypnotized. Can I I say, I I feel like, I feel like normally you're the one who recommends the movie to me. Then I'm like, what the fuck is this? And I watch it like, Oh shit. So like when, when I feel like occasionally I can recommend a movie to you and, and you really like it, it's like a, it's like a sweet victory. Uh, Man, I, and I take my, if I was wearing a hat, sir, I would take it (laughs) off. I, I fucking loved it. Also, it didn't get much of a reaction to my little shot across the bow at super eight. Is that, did you miss that one? I, no, no, I didn't. I just oh, did. I miss the. I never. I missed the film. I never saw the film. Oh, you didn't see Super Eight. Okay. Nah, yeah, it didn't. It, it didn't. Don't look see it. Good. It's not. It's not good. Yeah, it's not good. It's trying. It's trying so hard that it just completely <laughs> misses the point. Well, there you go. Then I won't. I'm the no. Then I. You know what? I could probably tell you right now. I will never watch that film. So there you, there go. you have it. <laughs> not that he would ever listen, but sorry, JJ. I hey, I love Lost. I love Lost, so that's fine. Um, okay, I want to get to my actual recommend because um, I know uh, off mic at some point, you know, in, in the times that we chat, I mentioned uh, that Melissa and I had watched The, the Lovebirds, which was an, an acquisition by Netflix. Um, Issa Rae and uh, Kamal Nanjiani, um, kind of fun caper crazy comedy in the vein of game night um and i and i and i i really enjoyed the lovebirds i thought it was a great saturday night flick to watch with a bottle of wine however the best movie that i've seen i think this year that came out this year um and such a fun watch was the hulu premiere of the um andy samberg comedy palm springs that just came out have you had a chance to see this yet i i haven't seen it but i have not read i don't think i've read a single bad thing about it Oh man, it's, it's, it's so funny. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's this plot where, uh, so Andy plays this guy named Niles and, uh, we find out eventually that he's stuck in a time loop. Uh, and the time, the day that he is stuck in is the day of, uh, this wedding that his girlfriend is a bridesmaid of. And, uh, inadvertently one night, um, he tries hooking up with the bride's sister who, uh, follow i mean and this is i'm not i'm not gonna give too much away but inadvertently follows him into this cave thus bringing her into the time loop um so now he's kind of got this person who's stuck in this loop with him and he sort of accepted his fate like i'm stuck here for the rest of my life so life is short doesn't mean shit 
I'm just going to live this day out, whatever. But uh, Sarah is the name of the of the girl who um, gets brought in with him. She's like, I can't keep reliving this day for reasons that you find out later. And um, so she's she's desperate to get out. And um, and it's sort of just their exploits together in this um, time loop. They they never try to over explain why it's there. In fact, the kind of the joke is just that it, it is. Um, great supporting performances from uh, J.K. Simmons, Peter Gallagher, June Squibb is in this for like four minutes and, sh and she's great. Um, but just like such a fun movie, very witty. I mean, acknowledges like the uh, like time travel theories and, and other films that, that talk about it. But it's it's so much fun. Uh and like it's it's kind of nice. Andy Samberg had some very nice tender moments with um her name's Krista Malati. I'm not familiar with her, but but she's great too. Um oh man, I like if I thought Lovebirds was good, then this is great. And man, this is the perfect this is the perfect like comedy bottle of wine, sit down with your significant other and like and I don't. I, I feel like I'm setting the the expectations way too high, and I apologize because I'm I'm sure I'm doing that. But I, man, I I really enjoy this flick. I, I I definitely cannot recommend it enough. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. And you had me. You definitely had me at J.K. Simmons. Doesn't matter. I'll watch. I'll watch anything <laughs> he's in. He's one of these people. He just makes everything he's in better. Dude, and you'll you'll love it. He gets to be, and it's great because like he gets to be like a crazy fuck in it. And then he also gets like a very good, like tender moment. Like it's he, and he's not in it all that much either, but like he gets, he comes in and he fucking nails it. He just nails his scenes. Oh, that's, that's great to hear. I'm not much of an, an Andy Samberg fan. I mean, I fell into the, the pit that was Brooklyn nine, nine for a, for a short spell, but man, that show really wore out. It's welcome. See, I, I, I always love the Lonely Island songs. Like, I still think to this day, like, I'm on a boat and Lazy Sunday and, and um, uh, uh, Dick in a Box. Like, I think those are funny. I think those are witty, fun, funny, catchy things. Um, but, like, I would see him do guest spots in movies or on shows. And I just thought his, his humor was so broad and over the top. I just, I didn't get it. This, I, I promise you, this is a, there, there's shades of that in this, but it's, it's so much more. Well, yeah, that's I will definitely throw it at the top of our top of our list then. Because uh, Andy Samberg for me, he's always been kind of like a Jack Black. I really like him in small doses, but he sure. he strikes me as being this guy that really can't carry a piece himself. Yeah, and I think, uh, and again, I don't. I wish I knew more about who Kristen Malati was, but I think he works really well off of her, really, really well off of her. Well, fantastic. So yeah, that's mine. Palm Springs. What do you got, Ian? I I got something. Uh, I got something very new as well. So I won't. I won't go too too far down the the rabbit hole with it because I don't want to spoil anything. Even when this episode drops again, it'll be it'll still be very very new. And I think this dropped right around the same week as yours. But uh, mine is uh, the Tom Hanks starring Greyhound. Now uh, this was like a lot of things this year slated to be released uh, in cinemas but then uh, it got picked up by Apple TV Plus uh, I'll be honest with you I did the one week trial just so I could see Greyhound I have absolutely no interest in keeping Apple TV Plus because Dude, there's I've got nothing wrong with that nothing I've got wrong an, with that 
I got enough streaming services that it is. I was actually just joking with my boss the other day that we may as well, at this point, with all the different streaming services, you may as well just go back to cable. We've we've pretty much come around, like, full circle with all this shit. Tubi and FUBU and Sling and fuck knows what else. Anyway, Greyhound. Hey, hey, hey. Tubi is free. Oh, well, excuse me. Just excuse saying. Me. All right. Um... So Greyhound is uh, it's written by Tom Hanks. He hasn't written anything in a while. The last thing he wrote was Larry Crown, which I didn't see, but I know got pretty universally panned. Um, and based on the the C.S. Forrest novel called The Good Shepherd, of course they couldn't call it The Good Shepherd because there's already been like 20 movies called that, including the fucking great film by Robert De Niro. Um, it's okay. But if we, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's that's a debate for another day, sir. We will right. we will deal with that. <laughs> uh, but this is a this is a World War II flick. It's uh, towards the beginning of the Americans' involvement with World War II. We're looking at about February 1942, and he is uh, he's a captain, and it's his first voyage across the Atlantic uh, as a part of this big convoy of about 40 or 50 ships, and he's sort of leading the convoy uh, in his frigates. And it's really about the, the 50 hours where he is really on his own and sort of in control of this convoy's destiny because they're past the point where, you know, U.S. fighters, their, their, their fuel can only take them so far. And then the British guys on the other side, the fuel will only bring them so far into the Atlantic. So they're by themselves for about 50 hours. And uh, he, he just takes charge and does the entire 50 hours in one shot, doesn't take a break, he leads the charge, he is one of these stand-up, I'm-gonna-do-it-myself kind of captains, I have to see this through, because, you know, he feels the, he feels the tremendous weight of, you know, what the loss of life could be, and how important it is that all these supplies make it over to, uh, to the UK and help with the Allied, uh, battle against the Germans. There's a great, uh, moment about halfway into the movie where we finally get a sense of how dangerous things are out there and we hear the voice of one of the German U-boat captains. Uh, he calls himself the Grey Wolf. He comes over their intercom and starts taunting them and it's such a such an intense moment. I mean, just Hanks really... I can understand when he says that he's very disappointed that this film will never be seen on the big screen. I mean, this really is uh, a cinema going experience and it's a, it's a shame that we now just have to deal with it. It's still great that we're getting it. Don't get me wrong, but I, it, I did feel a pang of disappointment about two thirds of the way through going, man, I really wish that I had seen this in cinemas and it's, it's yeah. super short too, like a 90 minute quick little watch again, which is a shame because I could have sat there very happily for another hour in this world with these guys it felt so very authentic and all the support it doesn't have uh, it doesn't have a supporting cast where i could i could call out names or anything they're all very talented guys but a lot of them seem like they're unknowns the only other guy that i know on the cast is uh, stephen graham who plays his uh, executive officer and then elizabeth shu has a little cameo at the beginning kind of seeing him off but i i would say this is 100 percent worth it even whether you have Apple TV Plus or not, and even if you just want to do the, the quick little week-long uh, trial, absolutely worth it. That's a great yeah, little piece of, of World War II cinema. I've been trying to to keep up with, you know, yeah, even though it's not, we're not 
allowed to go to the cinemas right now, you know, like when, when the five bloods came out, it happened to be on a night where Melissa wasn't here and I treated it as like a premiere. Like I get to see this opening night. I got to, I watched Palm Springs opening weekend. And even though I haven't seen uh, Greyhound yet, it is definitely on my radar. And I, and you know, I don't give a shit. Like I, I will absolutely be doing the same thing you did. I will get my free trial and I'll probably explore it a little bit, see what else is on there. Um, I think there's that, the, uh, there's a, um, uh, Samuel L. Jackson movie on there called the the banker. I think that sounds kind of interesting that I would, I would check out while I'm got my free trial. Uh, and I, yeah. I was told, I was told the Jason Momoa show C was pretty good, but I don't know that I would hang on to, you know, another $5 a month just for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough when you're not quite sure how much you can devote your time to a, a streaming service when, you know, there's so many other things out there. Yeah. There's just, there's too much. <laughs> I, I agree. It's fucking hard to pick something, which is why it's nice to have a podcast like this to help guide our our viewing experience, and uh, thus begins our conversation into All Quiet on the Western Front. Now, this was directed by Lewis Milestone, uh, written by George Abbott, with some adaptation work by Maxwell Anderson and Dell Andrews, and this is based on the novel by Eric Maria Remark. Um, so Lewis Milestone has no other films in the book. However, did you look at the rest of his filmography? It's pretty I, fucking I, impressive. I did not. I mean, it's very long and it's not, that's not, uh, unusual for a director of this time to make a bunch of stuff, but definitely some notable things on there. I mean, he made the, the remake of Mutiny on the Bounty with Marlon Brando. He did the original Ocean's Eleven, uh, one of the versions of Les Mis, of Mice and Men, uh, and a movie that I watched this week, The Front Page, which I really, really fucking liked. I, I'm not familiar with The Front Page. Do you have a quick little rundown so, of that? Yeah, so it's uh, um, uh, during this recent stint at the Barnes & Noble 50% uh, off Criterion Collection thing, um, I bought his Go Friday because I've heard, oh, that's good. And that was one of the cool ones that comes with, uh, it came with His Girl Friday, but also the front page, which apparently is based off of the same source material. Um, so it's like, and I'm excited to watch His Girl Friday because I just want to see the differences. But essentially, uh, the front page is about this um, crack-wise, very, uh, very intuitive, very good um, reporter for a newspaper. But he's met a girl, and he's going to marry her, and he's going to leave and, and, and focus on, on her and marriage, and he's going to quit this paper. But on, on the day that he's trying to leave, there's this guy that, they're, that is supposed to be hanged, and he escapes. And um, he becomes entangled in wanting to try and, and tell this story, but he's also trying to leave town and go to New York. Um, it's definitely like a it's it's a comedy though. It's it's very much like the guys in the in this writer's room. They there's a bunch of like big characters. You know they're all different people, and he's getting hounded by his boss to stay, and he then he's getting hounded by his fiance to to leave. And um, there's some dramatic moments in it, but it's very much a funny, witty kind of crack like whip smart movie. Um, and uh. I don't want to play any cards too early, or, but it's very clear that that he knows how to move the camera. Um, and, and 
I I think what he does in the front page is really really interesting, especially for a movie that that primarily takes place in one room, and it, and it, and the front page fits into one of those unique movies where it all takes place in like less than twenty four hours. You know, it's a definitely like that night all the events that happen. Um, very fun, very fast paced movie. It kept me you know for again for a movie from nineteen thirty one kept me entertained the entire time. Well, that's that's definitely on my radar now as well. I got a I got a couple of homework <laughs> assignments. Well, and I I have I have a little thing that I'm going to bring up later because it's something I did on episode before, but but we're not quite there yet. Um, do 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 you have any other Lewis milestone thoughts? Have you seen anything else of his? Uh, no, I you know I actually no, I have the only the only other thing that I recognized that I had seen in his filmography was the uh, Brando uh, Mutiny on the Bounty, which is it's a pretty indulgent movie. And I think a lot of that is to do with Brando at that point in his career, like knew that he could get pretty much anything he wanted and was supposedly very badly behaved on that set, causing all kinds of production runovers and delays and, you know, exponential costs and things like that. And it kind of it kind of shows in the movie that his his heart isn't in it. Not Brando. Oh, no, it couldn't be. Couldn't be Brando. I don't believe that at all. Uh, yeah, it's, I own I own that movie because uh, it was it was gifted to me, but I I've, I've yet to watch it. I'm sure I will at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, so our cast now I will be totally upfront that I this is an old enough movie with a bunch of people that I don't know, so I'm just gonna read names and characters because that's that's what we do. Um, so we have Lou Ayers who plays Paul, Louis Wolheim who plays Kaczynski, John Ray as Himmeltoss. Arnold Lucy as Professor Kantarek. I think that might be right. Uh, ben Alexander as Kemerek. Scott Kulk as Lear. Owen Davis Jr. as Peter. William Bakewell as Krop. Russell Gleason as Mueller. Richard Alexander as Westus. Harold Goodwin as Dieterine. Slim Somerville as Jaden. Walter Brown Rogers as Ben and G. Pat Collins as Lieutenant Burtnick. Anybody else you want to show a little love to there? Well, the only only other person that I would call out is the, the lady that plays Paul's mother. That's Beryl Mercer. And really, I would only call her out because she was uh, she was a, like a late casting in the movie. They had originally shot a few of her scenes with Zazu Pitts, who I don't know much about her, but apparently she was quite the comedy star back in the day. And as soon as audiences back in the uh, the test screens the, saw her in it, uh, they started laughing immediately, which is really not what you want in a film like this. So they they recast uh, Beryl Mercer and and reshot the scenes with Paul's mother. That is very true. That's a good point. Um, so uh, in terms of accolades, um, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the Academy Awards for now. Um, it was on the National Board of Review's top 10 list that year. Um, on the original AFI list, it was number 54. However, it did not make the updated list that came out in 2007. Hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? Yes, it was. Uh, in a very good year, 1990, we've done a handful of movies from that year, including uh, Great Train Robbery in our big silent movie triple feature, uh, Raging Bull, Bringing Up Baby, uh, duck soup and it's a wonderful life so it's in wow. it's in mostly good company there yeah yeah i mean historic company maybe that's a better way to think about it um so 
so I I want to I want to I want you to come with me on a little journey. So when I when I heard when I was doing the research, I knew that this movie won Best Picture in 1930, and I was like, well, this is an era, and you know me and the Oscars, right? And my the 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 way that I focus on like the trivia with it. And so I was like, well, I've never seen this, which is great. So I can check this one off. I've I've now seen another Best Picture winner from like the early years, the third ever Best Picture winner. So I was like, well, I should. I should watch something else that was nominated that year. And so through doing a little bit of research, I was able to find that a movie called The Big House um, uh, not only was nominated for Best Picture that year, but also beat this for Best Writing that year. And it was on the Criterion, which is why I, I got my, my trial. But then when I bought His Girl Friday and I saw the front page and I was like, oh, the front page the next year was also nominated for Best Picture, but that lost to Cimarron which was another movie that I hadn't seen. So I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll watch that too. And do you remember however many episodes ago back when we did Apocalypse Now? And I went on my whole Apocalypse Now, Kramer versus Kramer, and the year before with uh, The Deer Hunter and Coming Home, and how is it possible that there was a, a genre that got overplayed so much that even though Apocalypse Now is, is a better film than Kramer versus Kramer, the other film won. Maybe we were we were just burnt out on that. And even though it's not the same thing, because the front page and All Quiet on the Western Front, very different movies. But I think maybe it's like, oh, Lewis Milestone just did it. Now we're gonna give it to to Cimarron. We're gonna give it to, like a sweeping, you know, uh, epic about America. By the way, Cimarron is horseshit. People say cr <laughs> people say Crash is the worst best picture winning movie of all time. It is not, and so far from what I've seen, it's Cimarron. That movie is bullshit. It is racist, it is misogynistic, and it is dated fucking poorly. I, I don't recommend that movie. Um, but, so I watched The Big House. Big House is good. Big House is, is a good flick. I, it's, about, it's, a, uh, it's a prison. This guy uh, goes to jail because he accidentally killed a guy while he was drunk driving, and he's basically bunked with these two guys who are trying to plan a breakout. And one of them gets paroled early and then goes and dates the sister of the guy who came in. It's, it's this, ah, oh, it's really good. It's, it's a really good movie. Um, and I'm not surprised that it won best writing. Cause I, I, it's a pretty witty, um, script. A lot of, a lot of fast paced dialogue that we would associate with that era. Yes. Yeah. And also just like impressive too how they, how they shot that. Um, I thought it was, I think it's a smart movie. Um, but so, but just so bringing it back to the Oscars that year, which didn't have the number of awards as, as we do now, um, all quiet on the Western front, one best picture and best director. It lost writing to the big house and it lost cinematography to a documentary called with bird at the South pole. Uh, those are the accolades I found. Well, that's, we should also call out that this was, I mean, I know it's very early in the Academy's history, but this is the first film to win both director and picture. So quite the achievement there. Uh, I did find another one that was really interesting to me, and I think it's very it's it's funny that you mentioned Rosemary's Baby earlier. So there was uh, the there there were the awards uh, called the Photoplay Awards, which ran from 1920 to 1968. I say it's funny you mentioned Rosemary's Baby because Rosemary's Baby was the last film uh, in 1968 to win this particular award called the Medal of Honor at the Photoplay Awards, and and uh, All Quiet on the Western Front won that in 1931. Uh, I do have to ask you, Adam, do you like lists? I love lists. I love lists. I also love Lamp. I love Lamp, too. Here we go. Here's a list. 
So we mentioned the AFI. It was originally number 54 on that list. It wasn't on the 10th anniversary list, but here it is. There's a, uh, they, do their, they do their different top 10s. Here is their top 10 epic films. By the way, by the way, I, I'm only stopping you because I saw this and I intentionally didn't look at the rest of the list. So I'm, I'm excited. These are going to oh, be... You, these, you don't, you don't know gonna, what's on it. No, this, these are going to be just raw reactions. I avoided this because this is like the thing that you do. So I like, oh. I didn't look. See, this is, this is why we do this, man. We're just we're jamming on that same frequency. <laughs> all right, here we go. AFI's top 10 epic films of all time. At number 10, we have the 1956 Cecil B. DeMille remaking his own film, Ten Commandments. I, I haven't seen it, but I, I, I've seen the clips. I, I, I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, we've got the um, Warren Beatty film, Reds. Okay. Mo- yeah, more I, of a sweeping historical epic, but I, I get that. Yeah, I, I dig it. It's a little long and a little dry, but I mean, Nicholson, like, as he does with everything, knocks it out of the park in that. Uh, Playing then, Eugene O'Neill. Yes. Uh, then we've got Saving Private Ryan. I mean, there's no no arguing I, that. Great to see yeah. that on the list. Number eight. At number seven, we have All Quiet on the Western Front. Yep. Uh, number six is Titanic. Yeah, I, yeah. That makes sense. Number uh, number five is Stanley Kubrick's Spartacus. Okay. Here comes the big reaction. Number four, Gone with the Wind. I mean, I, I, I know there's been so much shit with this movie lately, um, and it, it it's I, and it's very easy to just to sure jump on that bandwagon. That's not what this pod's about uh, today, at least. But um, again, hard to deny its epicness in terms of scale and scope uh so i i understand it it wouldn't make mine but i understand it did we already say that like Salo, we're not doing a gone with the wind episode or is there still room to to sneak that one in at some point i i i think it's w- worthy of discussion but who knows all right. I'm not I'll, I'm not I'll, eager I'll, to talk about it. That, no, that's okay. I, I think maybe a, maybe a couple more years and let that settle down before we decide to poke <laughs> that particular bear. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Number three, we've got Schindler's List. Okay. Yep. Pretty, pretty epic in scope. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is a favorite of mine, Ben-Hur. I know you're Again, not so hot on that one. I'm not, but again, it, it like Titanic, in in a way like Gone with the Wind, you can't deny the the scale, the scope, how epic that movie is. I can now if it if it is if its place was like reversed with Titanic, I might have some issues. <laughs> sure, I think I know what number one is. By the way, I, there's yeah, there's no surprise. Do you want to throw it out there? There's probably no Lawrence surprise. Lawrence of Arabia. Of course, it's Lawrence of Arabia. I, I the older I get, the more I love that film. Yeah, didn't 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 know what to think of it as a thirteen year old kid. That's a little bit that's a bit a little bit heavy to lay on a thirteen year old. Yeah, both in terms of, of of just thematically and and the the running time. That that's a that's a tough movie to watch at a younger age. Yeah, so I'm assuming you won't be showing that to uh, to Stella anytime soon. I mean, only if I'm trying to get her to fall asleep. I think. Oh, there it is. Hey, oh, hey, 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 I'm not commenting on the film. I'm commenting on the fact that she's six, and this would that would yeah, probably yeah, no, bore no, I, her to tears. Yeah, I got you. 
<laughs> but there it is. There's the AFI's top 10 epic films of all time. It, there we go. Uh, this film is not currently on the IMDb Top 250. It has a 98% Boo. critical score and an 89% uh, um, audience score. Um, I pulled Morton Hall's New York Times review. Oh, go for it. Um, it the, and this is just the opening um, paragraph. And, and I, I just read it because I, I think you could tell how... how um, kind of how audiences of the day reacted to it. So he says, from the pages of Eric Maria Remark's widely read book of young Germany in World War, in the World War, all quiet on the Western Front, Carl Lamell's Universal Pictures Corporation has produced a trenchant and imaginative audible picture in which the producers adhere with remarkable, remarkable fidelity to the spirit and events of the original stirring novel. It was presented last night at the Central Theater before an audience that most of the time was held to silence by its realistic scenes. It is a notable achievement, sincere and earnest, with glimpses that are vivid and graphic. Like the original, it does not mince matters concerning the horrors of battle. It is a vocalized screen offering that is pulsating and harrowing one in which the fighting flashes are photographed in amazingly effective fashion uh, that's it man he hit the nail on the head with that i sure. did search i did search high and low for uh, commentary from bosley crowther but i think this was a couple of years before he started working at the new york times uh, yeah yeah i think this is a little before his day <laughs> Well, there is the, I mean, the, I think one of the best things that was written about this, and it's right there up front, right when you click on the Wikipedia page, is Variety had said the League of Nations, which was the formerly, you know, what the UN was before we had the UN, uh, yeah. could make no better investment than to buy up the Master Prince, reproduce it in every language to be shown in all nations until the word war is taken out of the dictionaries. Charming sentiment, but uh, a little naive. I still like yeah. it, but it is naive. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of, of uh, plot descriptions, I mean, this is pretty simple. Um, there's a group of, of German students who are basically uh, sort of uh, caroused by, by an energetic teacher to enlist uh, during World War I. They, uh, we kind of follow them from young, naive soldiers at boot camp to... Uh, being put on the front lines and sort of learning uh, pretty much as they go uh, what it means to live in the trenches. Um, there are uh, some casualties along the way. We see them uh, try to keep their spirits up, but it's basically just a series of events that happen while they're enlisted. I mean, there's not really a plot to this movie, so I'm not, I don't feel like I'm skipping over anything. It's just we're following these young soldiers. Yeah, and we're certainly not going to spoil anything for uh, from a movie that's 90 years old. But it is sure. it is very episodic in nature and and we'll get into that. But I right off the bat, I think that is one of the film's weaker choices to try and cover so much of the war rather well, than settling down into very concise events. So so t uh, two things uh, well two I two things to respond to you right off the bat. Um as I've mentioned before on this show, where like if it's a movie I haven't seen before, which for me this was it. Was this your first viewing of this movie? Yeah, this was my first viewing, and then we, before we started recording, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I went back and I looked at a few key scenes that I know that I wanted to highlight. Yeah, so so I try not to do any extra research. Um, I, I I really do. I think every movie should be a mystery in the sense that we don't know what's going to happen next. So if I if I read anything that's going to give away. 
a plot point or a death or a surprise or whatever, I try not to read any of it. So like I knew bare minimum about this movie. So the, the, the two things that I'll, I'll bring up right off the bat, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm ashamed to even admit this first one. <laughs> At one point I wrote a note. Are these soldiers German? I didn't know this. And I think my, one of my biggest issues with this movie is the like, 1930s Yonkers accent that every German soldier has it like it is so and I get that this movie might have been remarkable and and like awe-inspiring when it came out but I it was I just heard guys from Jersey and Brooklyn and the East Coast the entire time and I'm like it just I couldn't make the math the mental math of this work in my head and I I was confounded by by that throughout a lot of the movie. Yeah, it is it is a pretty interesting choice. I mean, I guess the the counter argument is it is a German novel. I yeah, other than that, well, I don't know. I don't really have I don't really no. have an excuse for making that decision. And so and so I and of course okay, and then I then I watch the movie and then I do the research because I now I can I can it, what I what I'm going to read will make sense to what I've seen. And I have no problem seeing a film from the perspective of Germany. And I know that was a lot of, there was a lot of issues with making the Germans look sympathetic in a war that, you know, so many people died in. And then of course, Germany didn't like, you know, because the, the you know, at that point, you know, Nazism isn't quite there, but like, as they're trying to show it, it's like, no, this is anti anyways. Um, so I, I have no problem showing that side of the war. It's just like nobody attempted uh, a dialect and um and there were even some some british actors or there seemed to be some kind of 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 um rp into this film too so i i didn't know it, it honestly took me a very it took me like 15 minutes to be like whoa 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 these are german soldiers and then like i felt like an idiot but then i was also like wait no i don't there nobody's attempting to 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 sound or be German besides their names, which is like, all right, I guess that's, that's something. But I, I, that was tough. That was a tough thing to fight through watching this movie. Well, I mean, and it also, it also goes to, you know, uh, us as a, as a modern audience, we're so used to rooting against Germany in these types of movies and rooting for the allies against the Nazis and things like that. So yeah, it, it can be, I, it can be a little jarring to look at it through, through 2020 eyes for sure well but i i want to be clear though that i i think that i think within this movie is a really interesting idea to to see this from the german side i i I really do my problem honestly is the execution it's it's and and i so (laughs) i'm hey we love lists on this show right we do love love lists. lists So so I made a list. I made a list for the show. Here are the five reasons why I did not like this movie. And and one of those reasons is these actors are not good. These young Ger- German in quotes actors are I'm they're all fucking terrible. They are they are not good. And like every moment where the script is pleading it's like banging you over the head to get the point. It's like the point is so loud that I just stop caring. There's the scene where um, 
they're all in the, uh, I, I don't want to call it a bunker, but they're in the trenches. They're in that little room and they're listening to the explosions going on overhead and the dust is falling on them and some of them are freaking out and it's like everybody, like I, I wrote down at one point, every, all of those younger actors dialed it to 11 and it would have been better if like one had. If one of them had gone, was like just going crazy, okay. But when there's like five of them doing it, it's like, I can't, I can't. It's like, it's, do you know what I mean? Like when it's so loud, you just like, fuck it. You, you scream and yell. It's like having a toddler, right? Like, like you're going to yell so much that I just, so at some point I'm going to stop listening because you're not making any sense and I can't do anything with you. And that's kind of how I felt about the younger <laughs> actors in this movie. Oh no, I, I, Hey man, I get that the movie is is relentless. With I mean, this is this is the early days of sound. You know, they're sort of testing the waters with what they can do and what they can get away with. It. I mean, it is, and in the battle sequences, rightfully so, that it should feel like a barrage and that it is assaulting you and being relentless and not allowing you any kind of reprieve. The only thing that I would respond to, as far as the acting criticism is. We do have to we do have to take into account that this is the transition from silent to sound. I mean, this movie was shot simultaneously both as a sound feature and as a silent feature. So a lot of these actors were still learning, or, or really they were figuring out how to dial it in for sound acting. So yeah, there are there are many many over the top moments. One especially that made me laugh out loud more than any other. It's after um, the scene where Franz has died in the hospital and uh and paul comes back with his boots you know because they're they're the best pair of boots they're these beautiful imported you know leather boots and he's talking about the feeling which i i do think the dialogue is spectacular where he's talking yes. about the feeling yes. of being you know watching somebody die and then the the guilt of sort of feeling so alive because of that they're dead and i'm not and he talks about the, you know, he was out there, he felt like he wanted to run through the field and he got that feeling, you know, girls, that moment, I was like, oh, come on, man, you just ruined this fantastic monologue with the way that he does that side eye look at the guy that he's talking to, you know, girls. Well, another, another moment that Paul totally fucking ruins is when they're in the hospital, him and his, and I don't, I, there's, I don't know, him and one of his friends, they're in the hospital. Uh, they're in that like nut, the, where the nuns are taking care of them. And you hear the other guy, there's that weird older guy who's clearly been there for a while. was like, if they take you to take your clothes off, it means that, you know, there's no coming back. Right. And so they're, he's having some chest pain and they're wheeling him away. And he's like, but wait, no. And he, he, he goes, I'll come back. I won't die. I'll come back. I won't die. He repeats those two phrases six times. Six times. Cut. Just cut. Just cut him off. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. That Paul. He's yeah, a fucking overactor. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of big moments. Especially in that opening scene where the, the professor is working them all up into a fervor about joining, which... Is is a great scene, and I think it is. I think it is my favorite scene in the movie. The way that he's, the way that he's kind of like leading them on, you know, and he's he's being all kind of playful about it. Like you know, I've heard these rumors of other classrooms where you know the boys have stood up and they've enlisted on mass, but I don't want you guys to do that and blame it on me. And then he's slowly starting to talk about you know the fatherland and talk about their mothers and fathers and how proud they would all be. And then all of a sudden, like he is like 
in this same conversation, within sentences of each other, he started to say, well, what are we doing here? Why are we here? Follow me, boys, let's enlist. You know, he's, he's, you know, shoving that propaganda down their young, impressionable throats. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, what's great too is, I, I think that is a good scene too. I think, I, well, let me rephrase it. I think, I think the stuff that he's doing is great. I think, again, all the younger actors in that scene are Oh yeah, all, all the kids, the way some of them stand up and the one of them's like, I'm ready. But, but you. But then again, you can't have that scene. You you need that scene, for I think what what is a very important scene later, where he's back in town and he's he goes back to that class and he can't he can't rouse them. He can't be what the teacher wants him to be, which is another which which is a recruiting model to get people to join up because he's he's been living through it, um, which I think again is a great scene that. It's one of, thank God, his more understated performance or moments of performance in the movie, which is why I think it, it works at all. Because if if it was more of what he was doing, it would just be another scene where I'm like, all right, well, you took some good dialogue and you just flushed that down the toilet. Well, no, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that you're at least giving him credit for that scene because I do really feel it when they call him a coward. Like the look on his face when they when they turn on him. Like I, I believe that that moment hits me. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to hear my second reason? These are not ranked. These are just different reasons. No, no, no. Yeah, let's do it. Because lo- I think this might just spark conversation. Um, uh, so here's, I've never served. I'm not, I've never been a part of the military in any way, shape, or form. Um, I think anybody who defends their country deserves um, a great thanks. I think that's a, 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 for whatever reason you do it, I think that takes a lot of courage in one way or the other. Um. Uh, so what I'm about to say might be insensitive, but I just I wrote this down, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my guns. I said, "War is hard, you whiny fucks. Stop complaining," because I think what doesn't help their performances is that they're always complaining about something, and like, what did they? I, I, I this is like this isn't necessarily a, a hypo like a um, a rhetorical question but it's going to kind of sound like it. What were they expecting when they enlisted? Well, that that was the thing. They didn't know. I mean, war, war had never been perpetrated on this kind of scale and this intensity and this kind of the war of attrition that was the Western front. Nothing like that had ever been, been seen or experienced before the idea that the, the this is the first sort of instance of you know tank warfare and and yeah. chemical warfare and living in those trenches in those terrible conditions where i mean you you saw 1917 they talked about that scene where a guy woke up to a, a rat gnawing on his ear and and well now that i've mentioned 1917 this film has influenced every single war film you have ever, you or i have ever seen like this like there, we cannot, as much as we may rag on certain aspects of uh, the old-timey feel of it, like every single film that has ever been made to do with any kind of war, they owe this something. I mean, both of the ones that Kubrick did, Pass of Glory and, and Full Metal Jacket, Saving Private Ryan owes it a fucking ton. 1917, I saw at least four different instances where I was like, holy shit, they like took that moment almost wholesale. Okay, I... <laughs> I I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But that would to me I, I I hear that and that's that would be like saying 
well, I, I, I'm trying to think of a funny, a, a funny metaphor to bring into play. I, because it was one of the first, like, it's one of the first movies like ever made, like, like really. So I, I hear what you're saying about paying homage to this, but it's also like, it's an old enough movie that if you make a war movie now, it's like, well, sure. Because this was made 90 years ago. And if you're doing any kind of research at all before making a war film, I'm sure you've seen this. And I'm sure maybe whether it's intentional or not, I get that you can take, you can take inspiration from something that you've seen, but like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too cynical, but I, I, I just don't think I, I'm, I'm not going to give this movie more credit than it deserves. I mean, sure. It was a world war one film. I mean, and, and I think, I think the direct comparison to 1917, it, it, I mean, yes, yes. World war one in the trenches. I, I, I get that totally. And I'll, and, but let's, I mean, take it, taking aside what, where we've come, uh, from a filmmaking standpoint and how how you can move the camera and what you can do with editing and sound and all that other stuff. And and again, I'm playing my card here, but like I'm an actor, like the acting straight up so much better in 1917. The story I found so much more compelling. And it's funny because I don't think these movies are similar at all, but when I, th- I was thinking about Saving Private Ryan at like the, for the last couple of days after I'd watched this, and a lot of people talk about the the D-Day sequence in Saving Private Ryan. And there are a lot of people who I've read, but like after that, the movie isn't good. And I I just straight up disagree with that. Um, I think there are scenes that you could you could possibly cut or, or trim, but I think the dynamic between the people on that crew is what it makes me interested. The stuff with Edward Burns and Tom Sizemore. And when when Damon gets involved, and even like Giovanni Ribisi and Vin Diesel and, and Adam Goldberg, like, and 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 well, fuck, and Barry Pepper, like, I can pretty much say the whole crew, right? And like, oh, and, and throw about, Je- throw Jeremy Davis in there as well. Sure, that that little fuck in that movie. Um, but like, there's just there's character dynamics. There's there are people who you can follow who are different from the other, and this movie doesn't really have that. And our our lead. Paul is just not good, which is why I'll just tell you now, my unsung hero is Louis Wolheim, who plays Kaczynski, because I like his character. I can, I like what he's saying. I like what he's doing. He's definitely like a father figure, but I also like his choices. I like what he's doing in the movie. I find him probably just to be the most believable one in the movie. And thank God there was some kind of a rock in, in the acting pool, because without him... I, I, I I was struggling for an unsung hero for this film, and and I I I really appreciate what he was doing. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. He's he's my unsung hero as well. Absolutely love his character from his kind of Belushi esque entrance <laughs> at the beginning. You know, I, mean, I got like I got flashes of of Belushi in Animal House where he's like staring in the windows of the girls that are under the way his eyes pop. And he starts to like salivate. Like that's the first time we meet Kaczynski. He's crawling under that, under that tank or that vehicle or whatever it is, and he's spying the guys taking the meat off of the the train so he can steal yeah. that and bring it back to the platoon. Like that, it it felt like very Belushi esque. But he is he's great. right up until his last scene. He is doing hands down the best work in this film. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I would my my sec, my runner up would be the guy that plays uh, Himmelstoss, the guy that starts as the mailman and then becomes their their drill sergeant, and they take a dislike to him immediately because he keeps you know fucking with them when they're marching and making them lie down and crawl through the mud and the 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 those kind of those pools, those trenches. I I kind of like him. He kind of he's he's smacked of, uh, and the reason why I say there are so many things that owe. Uh, this this film a debt is that I instantly thought of David Schwimmer in the Curry episode, uh, the very first episode of Band of Brothers, because yeah. that that's pretty that's pretty much what he's doing. He's going out of his way to to fuck with them. Um, anyway, I kind of derailed your point about um, war is hard, so stop whining. I mean, I didn't want to turn this into any kind of history lesson or things like that, but I wanted to come back to the idea of this war being unlike anything anyone had ever seen before. And I, I can't I can't agree with your point on there because I feel like them whining so much and sort of digging their heels in against the conditions is kind of the point. Because nobody, as I said, nobody had ever seen this kind of trench warfare before. In fact, there's a there's a line that I love. There's a, a season of uh, the, the British sitcom Blackadder. Uh, season four does take place during World War One, and in that, that season, the character of Blackadder is always trying to find a way to, to stop from going over the top and going into what he knows is certain death, because the second you step in no man's land, that's pretty much it. He says, this war would have been so much simpler had we just stayed home and shot 10,000 men a week, because that's, that's pretty much... The, the sort of figures that they were seeing, you know, the, this kind yeah. of loss of life, these conditions, it was, it was unheard of, unfathomable. Okay. So let me, okay. I should, let me clarify what I'm saying. Um, it's not that they should be whining about the war because I think that the, the images and, and the scene of that, the first time that we go over the top, right. And we, we're, we're kind of embroiled in that shootout and and the I believe is, is it is it who is it the British or is it French who's 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 coming in I like who, I, I don't think they ever say I get the feeling it's the French because that's who they kind of talk about the most yeah I'm, and, and that's again part of part of hard to tell who's who in the in, in the movie but I thought all that stuff in the opening scene you know there's that uh, very very famous image of the guy touching the barbed wire the explosion happens and all that's left are his hands. And then there's those, I, I wouldn't call it, it's not a steady game, but that tracking shot of the guy with the 50 cal just going down a line and like seeing the, the soldiers get shot, shot, shot. Like the, the, the war stuff, the battle stuff, I thought was, was all shot very well. Um, and it's not, and I'm not talking about when they, are, they actually are uh, in, in the war or even in the, in the trenches so much. But it's like, it's, when they so you mentioned you mentioned Himmelstoss and you know when they get in the bunks and uh, you know that you know oh or it's after the day and he's like well we gotta oh man we're not even gonna get a break because we're gonna have to take so much time to get ready for this and it's like my I, I just go back to and again I, and I, maybe and it's tough it's tough because I'm coming again from 2020 eyes having known a few people who enlisted in, into different facets of the military uh, a good friend of mine one of the, the Marines, I remember asking him like, isn't that like the most, the most hardcore one? And he was like, yeah, that's what I want. That's what he, probably what he needed was that. And so I guess I, I just, I, I do view this differently because I, I just imagine that if you're going to enlist that you, you have some idea of what you're getting into. And so like, I, 
you mentioned Himmelstoss and the way they were fucking with him. I was really pissed. I found that so disrespectful the way they were treating him. I'm like, you know what? Part of being in the army is knowing who your superiors are. And I get that there's, especially nowadays, like this idea of blindly following orders and like, what do we need to do to stand up? And when do we, when do we say, no, I can't do that. And I get that that's a real thing. But also if you don't follow an order in war, I feel like, like, the, the second you don't follow it, like lives could be lost. And I realize that what I'm referencing is just when they're in like I, they're whatever their basic training is, but like you're, they're not learning. And like, I felt like they didn't learn anything until they were just thrown into the, into the shit pretty much. And I get that's a way to learn, but I have to imagine that if they had been taking it seriously, they might've been a little more prepared for what they were going to be seeing when they got there. I mean, there's, there's like, they basically first get there and there's that scene where they're like, you know, we haven't eaten since this morning. What do you suggest we do? And then the one guy fucks him. He goes, I, well, I suggest you remedy that as soon as possible. I'm like that, that is something that I would say, but like, fuck you. I don't care about your fucking problems. You young pieces of shit. I don't and know. I, I, and I, I 100% see that point of view, but I, I still stand with the idea that these men are, I mean, they make a point of saying that they're too young to be there. They're not emotionally mature enough to handle this. So I can, I can see the other side of it as well. Sure, and 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 I, I maybe, and maybe that's maybe, and maybe that's effective storytelling in a way, right? That I'm so irritated with these fucking people. I wish it would have been more like, like, uh, how do I want to phrase this? I wish there would have been somebody in the crew that I wanted to follow, who wasn't as, I don't know, shitty, I guess. But and, that, and, that's, and that's, that's totally fair. That is what I, what I think is the weakness. The, the, the major, two of the major weaknesses of this film is that it tries to cover too much of the war. I mean, I get the feeling we're a couple months in, so we're kind of late 1914. Uh, I know I know a lot of you Yanks think the war was only 1917 to 1918. Well, it started three years earlier. You guys were just late to the party as usual. Um, so we're like late 1914, and then the, the movie goes right up until like the spring of 1918. And I think that's that's too much time to try and cover in one, you know, two and a half hour film. And then you're you're right it is kind of hard to identify and sympathize with these guys because there are so many characters that we're supposed to be following that sort of orbit Paul and we don't really get much of an introduction to any of them other than that opening scene with the professor there's not really enough time to form any kind of relationships with them before we're thrown into the shit with them so it's a uh, that's the the reason why I had to go back and and watch it again this week is to sort of ground myself and okay this situation happens to this guy and this one happens to this guy because it's it's a little hard to catch on the fly especially when you're trying to you know take notes as you're watching it yeah yeah um so uh the the third thing on my list and i'm gonna i'm gonna pause from that because i'm gonna save two of them for the end um i i uh and this is this isn't necessarily about the movie itself um but whatever i i just have a dvd copy I, I, I happened to find it somewhere at some point in my life and I was on this this slew of trying to get all of the best picture winning films. And so I have it, watched it. Uh I my cop I, I hated watching this film just how it looked. It it did not look very good at all. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna assume it's a pre two thousand six DVD. That would be my guess. <laughs> okay, so yeah, uh, after two thousand six, uh, the Library of Congress uh, restored it. No, no, so, no. Okay, no, no, no. No, I definitely it it says w- restored footage. I I, okay. I know that. You're you're just talking about the look in general, nothing to do with the the restoration or No, I mean I I think I mean the restoration. Or or just I don't know if it was just because it was a like if it was that DVD or or what. Um because I obviously I've seen other films of the time and they're old and I and they're not there's there's going to be imperfections, of course. I'm not I'm not trying to say that like it it needs to look phenomenal but i don't know i don't know what it was about that copy that just and and it just wasn't a good copy oh that's a shame you're gonna have to pop that on the next time i'm over so i can take a look at that because my my hd copy of it was flawless it looked oh it looked fucking fantastic yeah that's 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 my weaker thing on the list but i'm i'm done with my list for now i'm putting my list on pause so i'm 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 like i'm passing the baton to you i'm handing you the barbed wire with bare hands that you are going to continue putting up out of the trenches. Oh man, I, I wish you wouldn't do that. It'd let me put on some gloves or something before I no. handle that shit. No gloves for you. No gloves right. for Germans. All they right. do it with their bare fucking hands. <laughs> man, I really, I really do love Kaczynski. God, he is so goddamn good. I love the scene where he's teaching them about the sounds and the different things to look out for. You know, trying yeah. to identify which with which bombs are more harmful than the others, and the the scene where the one kid gets really scared and clutches him and then pisses himself, and turns away in the shame that he's 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 soiled himself in this situation, and he looks at him and he's very reassuring. He's this great fatherly figure that says to him, "You know, we've you know, it's happened to better men than you. It's happened to me." You know what I mean? Trying to, to reassure them and sort of ease them into this situation. Yeah, I I cannot say enough about his character right up until the end. I love absolutely every fucking thing he does. The opening really struck me, though. I, I'll read that little bit at the beginning. This story is neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all an adventure, for death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will simply it will try simply to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. That is, even though I talk about the the weakness of I think it it trying to cover too much time and and share too much information, I I do love the sort of regression that happens to Paul when he goes home is is one of my favorite sections of the movie that whole thing with him being him being at home there's a great scene where he's uh in the in the the pub with a couple of the the older guys and they're sitting yeah. there and they're discussing tactics and they're saying no we should go to Flanders or no we should go to St. Quentin or blah, guys that have never been there who have no idea yeah. and he's just so disillusioned and disaffected by that that he just gets up and walks away and then there's I I don't I wish, honestly, I wish there was more with the mother. I I really I liked. No, I really no. liked the stuff at home. I mean, I don't think I don't think the 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 woman that played his mother was a great actress. I certainly don't think the the woman that played his sister was all that great either. But I do, I do love. What I, what I don't think is talked enough about in film, uh, when we when we view these war movies is I don't think there's been enough films made about PTSD. 
I mean, my favorite, some of my favorite stuff in The Hurt Locker, for example, is that section at the end where he goes home yeah. and his wife has asked him to, hey, can you grab a box of cereal? Oh, and he's that's, just that's a stu- great fucking scene. What a fucking shot. Like that is, is per- I, there's, and there's not enough of that in cinema f- for my, for my taste anyway. So I was, I was more than happy to be there. I love the, uh, I love the callback. We'll just skip to the very end. I love the callback with the butterfly because his sister talks about, it. he's a, he catches butterflies and he's got them all up on his walls and things like that. And there's a sort of, you know, going home is, is ultimately, I think what killed him, you know, what made him drop his guard when he does go back to the front line. Can I, can I ask you a question? Yeah. You, you have said, especially in recent weeks, how much you hate foreshadowing. Did that not bug you? I, I hated that so much. Not the scene with the sister, not that, but the, that last shot I wrote, this is bullshit. That was my last note I took of this film was this is bullshit. I I definitely I definitely am a little bit of a hypocrite when it comes to foreshadowing. Sometimes I love it, sometimes I don't. In this case, I I didn't mind it so much. Oh man, I I it it sucks and I I'm glad you meant but I'm glad you mentioned that opening quote because uh I I and I'm I'm hope well I I'm hoping this is taken out of the novel, but maybe it's not. Uh, but I, I do like it. I think it's a great way to get us into the movie. And in, a, in, a, in an unfortunate way, I feel like it set the bar too high for me. Because I was like, yes, okay. And then there's a great um, um, there's a great shot. Wherever the hell, like we open up in like a random house, I think, right? We're just kind of somewhere. And the doors open and the camera pushes out onto the soldiers and I was like that was a great push in I really loved the shot and kind of how we got into the classroom like the first five minutes I'm in I'm in and then when the students were having their like dead poets society-esque like yeah let's do it I I I immediately like my it just started going down like each eat I just punched my table um each each scene I just was like ah no no. Okay. Well, and then it's, the I'm glad you bring up good, I'm glad you bring up the the framing of that because that is I, you know I may even change my answer. I may even say that I think the unsung hero is uh, Arthur Edison, the the cinematographer. He was also assisted by a guy named uh, Carl Frund. Both of these guys had great careers by the way. Uh, Arthur Edison, we've talked about a film that he shot. We did uh, The Maltese Falcon. Hey. Hey, he also shot Casablanca. So hey, that's nothing to sneeze at. Those oh, two films. God. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good back to one-two punch right there, Casablanca yeah. and, and Maltese Falcon, and uh, Carl Frund. He uh, he shot Metropolis, okay, hugely yeah, yeah. influential silent film, and also the original Dracula, the nineteen thirty-one, uh, the the Bela Lugosi one. I also yeah. found it interesting. He shot all one hundred and fifty episodes of I Love Lucy. <laughs> So, <laughs> I, I, that's neither here nor there, but I was just looking at the cinematographers because I was, I was so taken with, uh, the way this film was framed, the way the ca- I think the way the camera moves in this film feels very modern. I think obviously this film is very much of its time. It's in that silence of sound transition, but there is something about the cinematography that feels very, very timeless, especially when you look in the, the face of films like 1917 or Dunkirk more recently. 
The other yeah, shot I mean, that it, I love is is when we come into the classroom. So the camera doesn't come through uh, the window, but it starts watching the parade and then pans back into the classroom. Very high shot showing yeah. you all of the kids and the, the writing on the blackboard and the, the professor starting to work them up into a fervor. So maybe maybe I won't piggyback with you then. Maybe I'll I'll like I said I'll change my answer. I'll go. The cinematographers are my unsung heroes. But but the guy that plays Cat and Lewis Wolheim, that's a great answer as well. Yeah yeah. Um, I don't know and and yeah I just Paul. We're having Paul. another ra- we're having another raging bull apocalypse now. I loved this film quite a lot. I and just, I'm, uh, I can't wait to revisit it. Oh man I well and and it's. It's funny. Okay, so maybe okay. I I will play my hand a little early because I'm gonna give you my last two reasons why I did not like this movie, um, and it's gonna start. I'm gonna I'm gonna take you through a timeline of this week. We are recording on a Friday, um, so I watched All Quiet on the Western Front on Wednesday. Monday afternoon, I watched The Big House. And then that night, I watched The Front Page. And then Tuesday afternoon, I watched Simmerin. But Tuesday night, I watched Wings. Have you seen Wings? I have not, but I certainly know its reputation. So Wings is the first ever winner of of a Best Picture Oscar at the Academy Awards. It is also a World War I movie. And uh, this is a silent film. Um... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play my hand a little bit. Uh, All Quiet on the Western Front should not be in the book for two reasons. One, Wings isn't in the book, and it's a better movie. And two, of the two Lewis Milestone movies I've seen, this is not his best work. If, 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 if the book, and I'm not saying it's doing this, but if the book is trying to be representative of a, of a filmmaker's best film, personally, I don't think it's that. I I think it's the front page. But, and again, I am playing my cards early. I am not trying to wrap up the conversation per se, but it just seemed like a, a place to go. I, I think what Wings did and how it was filmed and blending the humor and, and, and again, focusing on three characters and, and like getting to know them, um, I, it's just... It's just a it's just a better movie. And again, and then and I'm skewed because I watched this before it and I have a Blu-ray copy of this of Wings that was like mwah, restoration. It was fantastic. And uh so in like every way, shape, and form, my 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 film viewing experience was was just was just better. Was just better. And Wings is a silent film too. Like I it, I didn't have the 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 actual words I could hear to to pull me in, um, and I again I feel like both of these movies in a way were you know these are the early win the first and third movies to win Best Picture and like ah, I've pushed them off for a long time and I I hope they'll be good and to me it's like night and day night and day difference um, and I I I, I think. I I just I think I think where I I'm falling back to a lot is that I just appreciate the performances so much more in Wings than I do in All Quiet on the Western Front and and in a way it's like that opening quote in in all in, in All Quiet on the Western Front that we we we've been talking about which which is in which is from the novel 
Oh, thank you. Um, like, then there, there are so many scenes where this movie is trying to be funny that I, I then I'm, I'm a, just, I just get confused. And not that the whole movie should be depressing, but like, I, I, I don't know. I'm reading this and I'm thinking, oh, sh I'm going to see some harrowing shit. And we do. I'm not saying that we don't. But I also like the stuff with the French ladies when they're playing the prank on Himmelstoss. I, I, I'm confused by these moments and I'm not quite sure what I'm trying to get from them. And I think that I will that concede. This, I will concede the French ladies bit is a little long. I, I, I mean, I love it when a movie that's serious tries to throw in humor. What we know where we can find a moment of levity because if it's just all dark, 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 is it, are we going to get the, are we going to still get the point? Um, but I, it just, the, those moments didn't work for me. And I, I just found them. I just, I, I don't know. I just found them to be kind of immature. Like, like the, like watching these kids do these things. And even later on, like the stuff with the French girls, like they've been in there for a while. And I get that they're, they're guys and they're in war and they're, oh God, there's women now. And oh, I, I'd like to get me some of that or whatever the fuck the mentality is. But it's like, I, I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. And maybe it just feels like I can, I can, I can track back the cliches to this movie. Like, I think at one point he actually, as he's leaving, he says to her, I'll never forget you. Like, fuck you. If, yeah. You're going to forget her. You liar. <laughs> So I don't know. I I had a I had a hard time with this movie. Anyway, I feel like you've got one more left on your list. No, I kind of combine the, the four was this is I don't think this is Lewis Milestone's best movie. Thus, why put that in the book and and Wings and Wings is not in the book. And I I looked; it has never been in the book, um, which I think historically is just kind of crazy to me, considering that it is the first movie to win Best Picture, but. I, well, wings, I feel like it should almost be in there by default at that point. Yeah. Um, but I, like we, you know, I, it reminded me kind of about like Top Gun. When we were talking about Top Gun, like we talked so much about the aerial stuff. Like, you know, the way Tony Scott filmed the fighter jets. Like the movie, the movie itself is yeah, whatever. It's, it's an 80s action movie. But like how he shot a lot of it was impressive, right? And like, I know that films had been made prior to Wings and that Wings is only maybe special because the Academy Awards had just started and, and, and we can trace it back to that. But I thought how they shot some of the aerial stuff there, the like real fucking explosions, like, I, I don't know. I The way that they they weaved in the war stuff with the personal stuff, I thought was, was great. And it found... And it found a lot of humor. There's a great dude. You will love it. There's a scene. There's an intermission because it's that old of a movie. It's not that long, but there's an intermission in Wings. And there's this great shot where our our lead is sort of having a night to celebrate in Paris. And there's this there's this push in shot where there's oh, like I've, five. I've I've oh, seen this shot. It's fucking oh, spectacular. It's really good. And then to see it in context, it's like okay, I get this. Oh, it's it's it is just it. it in my in my humble opinion, it is just a a much better movie. So let me let me make an odd comparison. I'm trying to put it into sort of 21st century context because we are talking about two very old films, both films 90 plus years. Yeah. So let's the way you're talking about Wings makes me want to say so for you, Wings is like Saving Private Ryan. 
All Quiet on the Western Front is more akin to Pearl Harbor. Am I kind of in the right ballpark there? Oh, wow. Um, that's interesting because the acting is bad in Pearl Harbor. The one thing, I, I, what I'll say in favor of All Quiet on the Western Front is that it's not trying to be schmaltzy. It's also not trying to make light of war. Um, I, I think Pearl Harbor is a... Um, Pearl Harbor is an offensive movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I have a, <laughs> uh, it's close, but I don't, I don't know if it's quite, quite oh, there. Here we go. This might be better. Wings more like 1917. All quiet on the Western front for you. More like Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, performances, and and I I would say where the performances are way over the top, in All Quiet on the Western Front, in Dunkirk, everybody is like mumbling and quiet, and I and I don't feel like there are a lot of stakes, and then and then there are moments of like dialing it to a yeah yeah I think that's true I I would say that's a pretty apt comparison. Well, that that makes me absurdly excited for Wings. The the expectation for that now is very very high but like and then again it's like i don't but i don't know what you'll like you know what part of what you'll respond to like i i'm more excited i mean watch wings because i really liked it and it is my replacement but i I think it's my replacement because um i I, the the world war one aspect best picture winning film there's i don't know something about that but i i really like the front page too um, it's, a, it's like a close runner up and I would love, because it's also Lewis milestone. I would love for you to watch that. It, it was, it's the next year. It was also up for best picture. It was also up for best director. I just think maybe the Academy was like, Oh, we gave it to him last year. We got the nomination. It, we're good. Um, but it's, it's solid. It's a solid movie. So my next question is, is then, so all quiet on the Western front comes out. You can only pick one. Is it wings or the front page that goes in. It's it's wings. It's wings. Oh, wow. That's great. I think I'm just going to blind buy that now. Or, I mean, or, you know, borrow it from me. It's fine. You don't, you know, you, you don't have to take that gamble. Oh, no, I'll, I'll take that gamble for you, sir. <laughs> well, we've we've kind of already given away our, our answers. You think that that All Quiet on the Western Front should come out of the book, be replaced with Wings. I did love it very much. I can I can see a lot of your points. I concede to you that the acting is not fantastic. I try to I try to give them a little bit of leeway, knowing the the period that it was made. But it, no, I get I get it. I I do think it should be in the book. I think it is. You know, you know you know me when it comes to film history and and tipping the cap to to what came before and all the things that are you know other movies have paid homage to and. Uh, I do like, like, uh, uh, within our gates last week, I do think not only should this film be in the book, but I do feel like it is necessary viewing like some other films we've talked about within our gates, bad day, black rock, things like that. I put it in that sort of camp of, you know, not only do I, I, I recommend that you see this film before you die, but I, I think that you must. Well, and I'm, you know, and it was so funny. I don't know why I felt so compelled this week to watch so many movies of the of the time. And I think maybe it was 
I didn't want to make, I didn't want to constantly make like Saving Private Ryan or 1917 references. And and those movies are good. And I, I love those movies. I'm not going to say that they're bad or that they're not worth comparing to. But it was, for me, it kind of immersing myself in the movies of the of the late 20s and early 30s for this week. It was nice to sort of frame it around like what else was being made and what was what was deemed high art and respectable at the time. And so to see this a, a kind of a grittier movie about a prison break and a, kind of a highfalutin movie about newspaper men. And then these two, I would say pretty drastically different movies about World War One. obviously one from the uh, the, the um, perspective of the Germans and one from the perspective of the U S um, it, it was, it was cool. It was a nice kind of week for me to sort of d- dive into these movies. Um, and well, you had you had a better week than me because I mentioned Zardoz was part of my fucking week. <laughs> That's I do, I can't unsee that shit, man. It's it's in there now. Sean Connery in that fucking One Piece. That's so wonderful. I can we I, can we can we not get on the Eternal Sunshine technology so I can erase that shit? <laughs> oh, that's a good movie too. I like that movie. Um, I love that movie. Uh, do yeah, you want to end? Do you want to end on a more positive note than Sean Connery in a One Piece? Is there any any final thoughts about All Quiet on the Western Front? Maybe some positivity. I don't want to. You don't have to. I don't want to force you to. No. What I what I will say it is that the the I and we've we've talked so highly about this guy anyway that I, I'll just say one more thing, which is the Kaczynski. Um, what I what I liked so much about. Uh, the his storyline was like so we 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 got the guy who's who's uh, blinded he, like the first guy who runs out of the trenches and then he dies and then there's the guy at the hospital and he dies and there's a guy who loses his leg and then he dies and there's no connection to any of these guys and so when they die it's it's not it's I'm not happy but it's I'm also like okay and then there was just something about the bomb going off near them towards the end and Paul's carrying him on his shoulders and he. He's like, no, I'll be fine. And there was just something about the way that he said it. I was like, like the war, what was the like? The war won't end until I'm gone or something. They, they keep joking about how, you know, he's still here. So of course the war is still going on. And um, there was just something about his, his death actually felt like there was some weight to it. And I think because of his performance, but also like he was the most individualized person that we got to meet throughout the time and so just another just another shout out to him i thought he i thought he was great oh yeah absolutely i love i love the moment where he gets mad at the guy for going into the into no man's land to collect the the body of his friend and saying no man there it's just a corpse yeah that's you know trying to you know he's gotta he's gotta get these kids to understand the gravity of what's happening around them that that he's very nurturing he's a very great father figure but he's also a pragmatist and he's got to, you know, he's got to get through to these kids any way that he can. And amazingly written character, amazingly performed. My, my final thought is we didn't really mention, I think we did in passing, but the boots, I think one of the cleverest things about this film and one of the scenes that I I rewatched just a couple hours ago was uh, the sort of passing of the boots. I loved that little piece of connective tissue that these boots sort of passed from man to man and that the, we were those low shots just focusing on them I don't yeah. know, that was just one of those clever little things that I kind of I kind of wish there was more of that 
in this movie. I wish, and again, because I've said it three or four times now, the fact that this film is almost too big in scope, we don't get enough of of that kind of intimacy. So, I mean, we got our answers. It's a no from me. It's a yes from Ian. Um, but f- of course, we always want to know what you think of All Quiet on the Western Front, uh, where it stands in the pantheon of, of war films or you know early 30s films. So please uh, find us on Facebook and on Twitter and hit us up. Uh, if you want to recommend a film for us to watch or help support the show, you can find us at patreon.com slash 1001 by one. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, many, many, many more. Uh, please find us, you know, whatever it is, follow and like and rate and subscribe and listen and listen and listen because that's that would be... Fantastic. Um, uh, please stay tuned next week as we shift uh, dramatically uh, in, in tone and story and all of filmmaking in general uh, as we jump another 10 years to 1940 and go back to an animated film in the sort of the glory years of Disney. Uh, but until then, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.